it would be very convenient if the Bible gave a simple, clear definition of the word church. What is it? It doesn't do that. Instead, it just gives several word pictures. It's better than a definition, I think, because they left us with this rich understanding of the church through these pictures that they gave us, this thing that you're part of. Uh, not one of them by itself is complete, but when you put all the pictures together, you get a pretty cool idea of what the Lord wants to see happen in His beautiful plan and purpose for His people. For instance, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, or the body of Christ, or a brotherhood, or a kingdom, or a flock, or a holy nation. In Acts chapter 9, they're called the, you're called the people of the way. That's pretty cool. They're called the Israel of God, the light of the world. And there's plenty more. And we're just taking this month to explore some of those pictures. We can't get all of them, but there's history and meaning packed into each one of these pictures. And then when you get the history and meaning, you have to apply it. Are we that? Are we becoming that? So today, we're going to look at a word picture from Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, there's three um, word pictures in this one deal right here. Three, three in one section. See if you can pick them out as I read. I'm just going to break into Ephesians chapter 2. It starts like this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now you, if you have your pen out or if you're watching along you can probably see a few more than three in there because there's kind of a overlap. But the three that I pick out would be citizenship, your citizens, you're a member of God's household or his family, and we're part of his building, what he's trying to build. Today I'm not going to focus on all three of those, but just a little bit about citizenship and more about family or household. I did not read the first part of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following at least, where prior to becoming the Christ, you have this horrible description of your condition, your status. Not good. Not good at all. You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, uh, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. Now, other than that, you're in pretty good shape. But you were a mess. When, when people feel excluded, they react by doing things to get included. They do things to get noticed, to get appreciated, to get attention. Like sometimes you want everybody to know your, what you had for dinner, so you put it on Facebook. And you want people to like that you had cornbread and soup beans for dinner. You know, and you want know, likes like that. That's okay, that's innocent, that's fine. But of course, some people, when they're excluded and want to be included, 
do more complex and destructive things like hurting other people. I want to be recognized. There's danger when you're excluded. And so the Lord came to tear down those barriers, those five barriers. I just finished a book this week uh, called What Are the Odds? It's about the My Pillow guy. You've heard you've seen his face on TV a gazillion times. A gazillion times. Mike Lindell's his name. So I'm reading this book and I'm thinking there is no way I'm gonna buy a pillow from this guy. This guy is trouble with a capital T. So I'm reading his autobiography. It, it's just one high and low after another and mostly lows. You talk about being excluded from citizenship and far away. That was Mike's story. He was addicted to gambling and crack cocaine and alcohol. Even as an adult, he had severe financial and business issues. He had trouble with the law. He lost his home. He lost his family. He had many scrapes with death. When he started his business, it was on the verge of bankruptcy several times. I'm reading this book thinking, there is no way this guy has a successful business. There is no way this guy could become a follower of Jesus. He's just, you know, he's just too far out there. He's too far gone. Wrong. This is what it says in Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Oh my goodness, this is one of the biggest buts in the Bible right here. So when Paul writes to the Christians at Rome or Ephesus, he knows what they used to be. They were Mike Lindell. They were Mike Bowers. They were no shot. But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Paul addresses those Christians in Rome or Ephesus or wherever he writes as the church. Each one has a local address. Uh, in Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, even if the church only has two people or three people in it, he's there in the presence of them. That means there's no... Church too small for him. There's no insignificant church. There are no insignificant Christians because Christ is with you in whatever you're doing. Those who have surrendered their lives to Christ are then adopted into his family, into a community of believers that stretches around the globe. And through Christ, we've become the children of God. That's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 12. So the church is people who belong to God because of what Christ has done for us. Perhaps you've heard the Greek word used in Scripture for the church. It's ekklesia. It just means the called out ones. God has called and you have responded to His call. Peter says we're the people who have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. So you're the called out. You've responded to His call. Uh, where did the church come from? That's a really good question for those who deny uh, faith, deny Christianity. Suddenly, 
in history, the church just pops up. There wasn't a church before. It wasn't around. And then suddenly, just after the time of Jesus, this, this thing, this, this loose outfit just popped up in all kinds of different cities. How did that happen? Who made that happen? Why did it happen? Well, it's people like you and me. It's, the church is made up of those who respond to God's call. He brings them together. And even though they're very different, He holds them together. And that brings us to the first word picture today that I would like to share with you. You are fellow citizens with God's people. Um, here's the truth. It seems like at this time in our history, there are more people displaced from their home and homelands than ever before. There's millions of people looking for a safe place to live. If you watch the news or read the reports, you know the story. Uh, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol claimed that they caught, they caught over 180,000 people entering our southern border in the month of May. They, that's how many they caught. And of course, they don't know how many they didn't catch. And I don't want to raise your blood pressure this morning, but you got to wonder about that. Uh, one, I, I saw pictures this week when I was reading some of that, and there was a, a picture of a t-shirt. The guy had a t-shirt that says, please let us in. It was in English. Please let us in. And I'm going, I get his sentiment. He's looking for a safe place. I get that. But I'm scratching my head going, how did that guy get a t-shirt like that in English? Where do you get those t-shirts that? Like, how's that even happen? I don't know. But I just know people are looking for a place to live. Since February of this year, over 4.4 million people from the Ukraine have crossed the border into Poland. You know why. They're looking for a safe place to live. Who wouldn't? Um, the pictures make me, make me pause and think, and I hope you too. Instead of shaking your head and saying, those people, you put your, your, yourself in their shoes and you wonder how you would react if you were them. Uh, what would cause you to be so desperate today that you would fill a backpack up the, with essentials and leave your home, drive as far as your car would take you when you run out of gas, start walking. What would cause you to do that? Uh, no one wants that. And by God's grace, we have been spared from that. But we need to walk in humility. Of course, some of those folks are running for their lives. And some are seeking a better life. We don't have that pressure. We, but I think we can understand. You, you have some sympathy for them. You wonder how, how long those countries can stand the strain of accepting so many. How that goes until it upsets things. And I know several of you have helped with refugees in the past. You know the plight of uh, refugees, even if they get status, they, they can't return home. 
they, they want to, they miss their family and their upbringing, but going home is life-threatening. So they look for a way to be accepted in the communities here, and they, they really want to live in peace. They don't want trouble. But imagine if you were uprooted and you had to learn, let's just start with this. You were uprooted and you had to start right where you are right now. The status that you have for your job is not recognized in your new country. Uh, you don't know the language. Uh, you have to figure out how to buy things with this new form of money. There's this crazy food that they're expecting you to eat that doesn't look appetizing to you. What do you do? Well, the ultimate sign of acceptance for an immigrant is a passport. Citizenship. Their most prized possession is a passport that says, I belong. I have been recognized. I am no longer excluded, but I am included in this country's way of doing things. It means they have arrived, they belong, they have a new identity. That is exactly your plight before Christ. Every one of us, excluded from citizenship, without hope, without God in this world. Foreigners, separated, is the scripture. But through the gracious work of Christ, you're not that anymore. You were a spiritual refugee, but you're not that anymore. No way, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. Oh my goodness, your status went from here to here because of the grace of Christ. You have a passport now. You're guaranteed all the rights of a citizen of heaven. Wow, look how far you have come through the work of Christ. May, may we never lose the wonder of the grace of God that includes you and me. Wow. But the scripture goes on from citizenship to a second picture. It says you're you're members of God's household, and that's probably where we're going to stick most of the rest of the time here. Um, you, you grew up in a home, and it was either a home of chaos or a home of stability based on your family. But still, no matter how hard it was, for some of you, we associate lots of good things with home, like a place to lay your head, security, and... Uh, love and contentment and your mom's cooking, whatever that was, and traditions and games around the kitchen table and the aroma of chocolate chip cookies or whatever it was for you. Um, God has gathered spiritual orphans and adopted them into his family. It's the most amazing thing. People with almost nothing in common are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is how it says it in Galatians 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Man, has your status improved or what? Oh my goodness, look at that. Members of God's household, born into this, His family by the water and the Spirit, we are in this family and we so we share a meal we break bread together we wear the same name we're obedient to the head of the family uh, we carry out his great purpose we have his main character trait the same character trait our dad has God is love and so we're trying to be we did not earn the right to belong in this family each one of us was adopted in there's so much division in this world right now. Probably always has been. I just haven't been paying attention. But God's purpose is to unite people. One family, one people group out of the many. He wants it to be so, to, for us to be family. So the second Greek word that you've probably heard is koinonia. You, you probably heard that. It means to share, to have things in common. That's what God wants for His family. It's the shared life in God's household. Uh, the Bible calls it the right hand of Christian fellowship. That's a pretty cool term. It was used when the church in Jerusalem was wondering if they should accept uh, a guy named Paul and Barnabas and their, the crazy work they were doing among pagan peoples. Should we accept them or not? And they examined them, talked with them, and they extended them the right hand of fellowship, meaning you're in, you're with us, this is cool. Um, the late Charles Colson said the right hand of fellowship often turns into the right fist of fellowship in a lot of God's family. No secret, many times God's family has a hard time getting along with each other. There have been many churches and splinter groups off of his family of which he is not happy. I found this guy named Tom Rayner who consults with churches and writes a blog about church life and he lists five big reasons why churches, the family of God, argues and divides. Five common ones. Are you ready for these? Pretty simple. When you change the worship time at a church people go berserk. And they say, fine, if that's the time you're going to meet, I'm going to go down there because they meet at the time I want to meet. That's amazing that we would divide over that, but he says that's one of the big reasons. People simply don't want to give up their cherished time and their cherished schedule. Here's the second one. Members disagree on how to deal with a leader who has failed with his character or morals or in finances or some way. What to do about that? And of course, some people are tied to him and want that person to remain. And other people are saying, That's, that doesn't fit with Scripture. We, and so there's division there. Another one is, maybe this is you. Complaints about the length of the worship service. 
because we got places to go, Jack. Let's get this thing moving. And then the fourth one Rainer puts out there is the lack of clarity and disagreement about who makes decisions. Like, does Bowers make all the decisions around this place? Do the elders make all the decisions around this place? Uh, who, who decides these things? How much authority do they have? How do we get along? When do we get a chance to voice our opinion? Do we get a vote? All that comes out. And then believe it or not, Rainer says the last one that's still around is how we worship, our worship styles. Um, that has to do with music and the choice of music, who chooses that music and noisy young people's music or grandpa's music or what do we do? And uh, you know, with me, you've heard me say this before, I'll say it again. Uh, music is like pie to me. Which is your favorite? Whatever's in front of me is my favorite. Whatever we're singing today, I'm with you because it praises the Lord. That's what I'm about. Let's just do it like that. But worship style can also include the dress code of a church or, or who leads, you know, what kind of Bible you're going to use. There's a lot of things that go along with that. YouTube has a channel that uh, someone directed me to this week. They just said, just go to YouTube and just put on church fights. Really? Yeah, I did it. And the subtitle of the, of the article was uh, Church Fights Part 2. Why you should not go to church. Because this could happen where you go. The right fist of Christian fellowship. Uh, I read a story about old men who were fighting on stage in church. It was a quartet who were rehearsing music, a quartet, four guys singing. And one guy did not like the sound of the four-part harmony, and so he was trying to get the other three guys to change and adjust. It became a heated discussion that turned into a wrestling match right there on stage. And of course, somebody came in and caught it on video and put it on YouTube. Old men fighting over harmony. I said, old men fighting over harmony? What, 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 what? I read about a church fighting over which picture of Jesus you should display in the lobby. Uh, another had a dispute over the kind of juice used for the Lord's Supper. Is it okay to use cranberry grape juice or do you prefer just the straight grape juice? Let's fight over that. And I shared this one with you a few years ago. One, one more. Uh, a church member got upset because to the carry-in dinner, someone brought deviled eggs. <laughs> Let's fight over that. Okay, every church has their disagreements. We, we take turns disappointing each other and speaking out of line sometimes. Sometimes we need our space, but God expects His people to live by a different standard. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. 
Well, the United Nations could never accomplish what Jesus has done for people. At tremendous expense, he adopted people who were far away and brought them in. We have the same dead. There's this acceptance, this connection. This is the family of God. So let me just work through Ephesians chapter 2 here real quick and just show you in one sentence after another what God has done, how he describes it. In God's family, hostility has been replaced by peace. In God's family, wrongs have been made right through the cross. In God's family, every one of us has access to our Heavenly Father. In God's family, outsiders become members of God's household. In God's family, we're joined together for the purpose of bringing honor to our Heavenly Father. And in God's family, He lives in each one of us by His Spirit. Man, look at what you have become through the work of Christ. And there's no end to the stories that we can share of the family looking out for the family. I have a treasured piece of paper up here with me in my mom's handwriting. Uh, once she was in the hospital uh, for an extended time, and she just decided uh, when she got home, she would write down everybody that came to visit her in the hospital. And she was stunned that so many people would take time out of their life from her church family to just pop in for a quick visit. Bring a magazine, bring a card, bring a flower, bring 52 people on this list from her church family just like ours that came to visit her. And that's not counting flesh and blood family. Just all these people who came. She was so proud of that. And she wrote down here the names of seven people from the church that brought her communion. Maybe it wasn't on a Sunday. It could have been a Tuesday night, you know, but they brought it when they came. She was so honored by that. And then her first week home, she included in this 11 people that came to visit her in her house on her first week home. That's the family of God. I experienced that when my mom passed away a couple years ago. The funeral, my hometown, about five hours down in Ohio from here, it was on a November a Saturday morning. Busy for me. I had my own family and I had to, I wanted to speak at the funeral and you know, a lot going on with me. I didn't really pay attention to who was there until I got up to the front and looked over the crowd, and I saw two couples from the Clarence Church of Christ who got up early on a November Saturday morning to drive down and spend the day with us and turn around and drive back home. That's 10 hours on the road, not to mention the other stuff. Yeah, my family was there, and that was cool. But my church family was there, and that was really cool. And it's just very encouraging. That, that's the family of God. Over 30 years ago, Rob and Rochelle Denning uh, decided that they were going to take their two little kids and go to Kenya, Africa. You know the story. They were going to do church planning there. Once they got there, they realized, oh my goodness, transportation is a big issue here. We need a better 
vehicle than we have. So they made their request known. Would it be possible for those who support them to somehow figure out a way to get them a better vehicle? I remember Mr. Walker up here that morning talking about it, saying, you know, let's pray about this and let's see what could happen out of this. It's something we've never thought about before, but how could we get a vehicle that's dependable, four-wheel drive to Nairobi, Kenya? <laughs> how do you do that? Well, a guy in the church worked for GM, and he went to work on that. He caught the vision. He talked to his bosses and tried to figure out, at that time, the GM employee discount was a big big deal. So yes, that was possible. What kind of vehicle are we after? It wasn't a Suburban, you guys, but it was something like a Suburban. I, I couldn't remember the name of it. But man, with the employee discount in our church and other churches coming together, we raised several thousand dollars, which seemed beyond our ability at that time. And then that crazy vehicle was put on a boat and shipped to the port of Mombasa in Kenya and rolled off onto the docks and Rob went down and picked up a sparkling new GM product. How in the world did you guys do that? Crazy stuff. But everybody invested because family looks out for family. We try to find a way, right? Uh, sand is made up of a million single grains. But when you look at it on a beach, it, it is one. It is together. Christians are very different. Personalities and giftedness and likes and dislikes. But Jesus gave us this new command to love one another. And so this was the identifying mark of the family of God. And the world never saw anything like it before or since. We share happy days and sad days. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We carry each other's burdens. Christians do not live for themselves. They live for the family of God. What can I do? How can I help? I will tell you that one of my favorite times with our church family is before and after church services. I like being in here with you all, but I like what I see before church and after church when you guys just mingle and talk. Uh, you, you share concerns, you tell stories, um, you borrow tools, you schedule events, you learn about the interest of others. Oh, yeah, I, I can help you with that. It happens almost every week around this place. So here's just a couple takeaways as we get ready to close. Joy and Shay Shay, I can invite you guys back up. Uh, be a peacekeeper. It stinks when somebody walks away from the family of God. Let's go and ask them what's going on. What was the cause? Why did it happen? Just go be a peacekeeper. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So I, I just would encourage you to slow down, spend some time uh, with your family, which leads to the second one. Ask a good question of people. That means you need to slow down. But I, I found that one good thing that I can ask people is, 
hey, what's going on this week? What's one thing I can pray for you about this week? And almost everybody has an answer to that. And they're, they're happy to, maybe they don't have time for a big exposition, but they can take a minute and answer that because they're grateful that someone would take time to pray for them. Well, you can do that. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So just ask that. Be assertive in that way. And here's the third thing you can do is make a date. It's not what you're thinking, but uh, I think once a month seems realistic to connect with somebody outside of Sunday morning. Uh, open your home, go out for an ice cream cone or a cup of coffee. Uh, just make the time. Just do an invitation. And just have a half hour conversation can make a huge difference. And then uh, fourth idea is just share fun. What are you doing today? Hey, would you like to come with me? This is what I'm doing today. Uh, if whatever you're doing, just ask somebody to join you. I'm, I'm trying to do this walking program. Would you, could you walk with me, you know, two days a week or something like that? Or, uh, I'm going on this bike ride. I could sure use a companion. Uh, I'm shopping today. Would you like to go shopping with me? No, I'm busy, but I'll find somebody who can go with you. Whatever I wasn't doing, I'm doing now because I don't want to go shopping. But, um, whatever it is you're into, sewing or music or a sporting event or a movie, ask somebody to join you. And you got a friend. You know the old song, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. Uh, the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Listen. You have a home now. You're no longer excluded. You belong. You're part of the family. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And if you aren't today, you could be today. You could get your passport today, right now. The Lord's done all the hard work for you. Just accept His terms. Uh, yield your life to Him. Repent and be baptized. He wants to accept you in. And I encourage you to think about doing that today. Become a citizen.